welcome to the second episode of Down to Heal. If you listened to episode number one and are coming back for more, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. If you are new here, I am so happy to have you with me on this journey, and I hope that I can give you little seeds of wisdom to add to your garden of knowledge. In this episode, we'll talk about why you can't seem to leave that toxic relationship, whether it's platonic or romantic, or why you keep going back to it if you have left. I'm doing air quotes. Um, I'll dive into my personal experiences and what kind of helped me get through this. Uh, As a reminder, I am not a professional counselor, therapist, psychiatrist. This is just my personal experience, and I'm just sharing tips and tricks of how I've gotten through these things and what has helped me. Um, Please seek a medical professional if you need further guidance. Um, But with that being said, I'm super happy to have you, and let's get started. So I'd like to get started with just a little bit of background about my experience and why I think this is such an important topic to discuss. Um, So about, I would say, five or six years ago, I was in a long-term relationship with someone um, for about, uh, I want to say, it's so hard to say because we dated for about a year, just um, casually, you know, weren't really committed. I mean, well, I wanted to commit, but he didn't. Um, So about a year of that bullshit. And then um, I think about two and a half years, maybe three, um, dating. So uh, basically, you know, I met him on a dating app like we all do nowadays. I think, you know, online dating is a huge thing now. So I met him on a dating app and, you know, we really did hit it off. We really got along really well. And it was kind of weird because at that point in my life, I really hadn't met anybody that I clicked with. It was more just casual dating, sleeping with people, you know, like I was in my early 20s. So things you do in your early 20s, um, that's kind of what I was doing. So I was, really wasn't expecting to meet anybody and really actually enjoy talking to them. So it was kind of surprising for me and it was really intriguing. Um, at that time, I had not, I wouldn't say just got out of my last relationship, but it had been um, at least about six months since my prior relationship. And that relationship, you know, things ended poorly, but I guess poorly on his end, fine on my end. Um, but yeah, so it just, it kind of just happened. And I really was intrigued by this person, um, this new person, because we had a lot of things in common and we really made each other laugh. And that's a big thing for me, dating somebody that I really have a lot of conversation with and I'm able to have those great funny moments with, you know? So it was really, really something that I was invested in from the beginning. Um, I really wasn't looking for a relationship off the bat. It was more of just casual, kind of see where it goes sort of thing. So um, I'll just kind of go into it. So basically, you know, we had met up to kind of have drinks and just get to know each other. And then I ended up actually staying at his place for quite a few days. So it was just from the beginning, I just got roped in, you know, I was just kind of full throttle, completely dove in. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Our relationship was so much fun. We went out all the time. We drank. We did all sorts of events together. We were always around friends. Um, It was just always something going on. It was something that I thought that I really needed in my life at that time because um, if you know me personally or if you don't, I'm a pretty introverted person. I really don't like to go out that much. I'm really not trying to talk to 
tons of people, be friends with tons of people. Um, I really like to keep to myself. And, you know, so when I was dating this person who was very, very outgoing, um, extremely extroverted, it was just so exciting for me because I'm not that way. So it's kind of like I was getting something that I thought I was missing. Um, So it was a lot of excitement, a lot of adventure. And I think that's what really pulled me in. But I will say, you know, from the beginning, there were a bunch of red flags I was ignoring. And looking back, you know, after kind of analyzed this relationship a little bit more, um, there was a lot of red flags I was ignoring. And I really wish I would have just listened to myself and also listened to my family and my friends at that time because they were also pointing out things I was ignoring. So um, I'll just give you an example. So there were times where I would reach out to him, and this is our first year of dating, so we're not officially together, so it wasn't that serious, but I would reach out to him and, you know, I would say, hey, let's do something, or what are you doing, or what are you, what's going on, you know, he would say, oh, I'm at work, Um, and then he would disappear for the rest of the day, the rest of the night, so I wouldn't hear from him until the next day, so that to me is a little bit of a red flag, Um, I believe that you should at least tell someone what's going on, and let them know what you're doing, and not just ignore them, Um, You know, I didn't know at the time, but it was because he was obviously seeing other people and didn't want to tell me because he still wanted me to be there. So that was another that was a number one red flag. And then another red flag was just when we would go out, he would get belligerently drunk. And, you know, at that time I was in my party phase, my early 20s. I'm just looking to party, drinking, having fun, clubbing with my friends. So I didn't really see it as an issue. Um, until there were moments where we'd hang out, where we weren't going out, we're just at home. And it was a constant alcohol. Alcohol is involved every step of the way. Um, For him, it was either basically you hang out with me and you drink, or we don't hang out at all. And at this time, I think, what was I trying to think of how old I was? I think 23. We had met when I was 23, 22, maybe. Um, So at this time, I was just really insecure I really thought that I had to do this to have this person have interest in me. I have to do this to have this person like me. You know, he's basically telling me without telling me that if I don't drink with him or I don't party with him, that he's not going to spend time with me. And, you know, like I said before, finding somebody with this connection, I thought that that was never going to happen for me. Um, So I really was just like, okay, I'm going to do whatever he asked me to do, basically, just to have someone have interest in me, which is really sad now that I look back on it. Um, it's really, really sad because I wish I wouldn't have just done whatever someone asked me to do instead of doing what I wanted to do. So yeah, that was essentially our entire time together. And it was just partying and drinking. And, you know, it was so strange to me because there was another red flag I'm thinking of. Um, when we were together sober, everything was fine. Like he was totally a normal person, um, seemed very considerate, showed a lot of interest in me, really genuine, extremely generous, um, everything that I thought I wanted in a partner. So that was fine. I thought, you know, oh my God, this is great. I'm having both, both worlds basically, you know, I get this adventurous side of him and I also get this side of him that's really, um, emotional and really invested in me. Um, but the side of him when he was drinking was, what I like to call the devil. Um, That sounds really dramatic. You know, it really does. But honestly, once I talk a little bit more about him, you'll kind of understand. So that's what I really like to call it. Um, This side of him that was extremely volatile, extremely aggressive, um, just hurtful, would do anything he could to hurt you, to make fun of you, to embarrass you. Um, Just honestly, it was 
like being in hell because I had those moments or those days where he was sober. Things were fine. Things were amazing. I thought like, oh my God, this is someone I could see myself with. I started falling in love with him because of who I saw when he was sober. And then when he would drink, which is basically every day. So I got to see both sides every single day. It was constant confusion because I got to see the side of him that I loved and I adored. And then just hours later, it would be this devil that would come out. Um, that would berate me, that would be aggressive towards me. And at first, it was very, very sparingly that he would show that side. So at first, it was really rare. I mean, um, he would drink still the same amount. Um, Obviously, over time, it got a little bit worse, you know, his drinking habit. But he would still, you know, he would be fine. He would be a little bit condescending, which I could kind of brush off as, you know, you're drunk. Um, you know, a little bit antagonistic, but I brushed that off again as you're drunk. So I didn't really hold that, you know, take too much offense to that. So that's kind of how it was at first. And, you know, as our relationship progressed and I spent more time with this person, I ended up moving in with this person and really seeing who he really was. It became an extremely emotionally and physically abusive relationship. Um, it was no longer that nice side in that mean side, but kind of okay to deal with, you know, it was nice kind of nice I guess I should say because he ended up not being very kind after a while um so he had the side that was okay and then the side that was just venomous that's the best way I can describe it is it was just like living with someone that's constantly trying to drag you into the mud with them um so over time the relationship became extremely volatile to the point where I would have moments where I would think to myself, like, no, this isn't who he is because I've seen this other side of him. This person still exists. Like, there's still that person deep down inside. So I really would just sit there and have moments where I would say, oh, my gosh, is this, like, is this person still in there? Do I still know this person? So progressively over time it kept getting worse and the drinking got more heavy and as we were living together um it just became a constant nightmare I mean I would have to clean up after him consistently every morning after he would black out on the couch and just beer bottles everywhere I mean there were times when he would throw stuff at our microwave or our um fridge or cabinets and leave glass shattered everywhere dense you know it was just constant holes in the wall Um, it was a, it was a living nightmare. It truly was. And so me being the person I am, I feel like I'm very empathetic. And so I took so long to understand that that person that I thought I knew never existed or it doesn't exist because I was being manipulated the entire time from the beginning. And it only took me a few years um, after breaking up with him, leaving that situation to really understand like how much I was manipulated because it really was constant manipulation. From the day one that I met him, I was manipulated to believe that he had interest in me. Only me had love for me. Only me had no intention of having any sort of relations or relationship with anyone else. Um, and, you know, I come to find out that's obviously not true. So, There were moments where I feared for my life, feared for my safety. I didn't know if I was going to wake up the next morning, what was going to happen to me in my sleep. Um, And this was all because he would get belligerent drunk. 
and attack me most nights. Uh, most nights I would wake up and he'd be attacking me for some reason. He'd be, you know, grabbing me, hitting me to wake me up because he's belligerent and he's pissed off for some random reason. I mean, honestly, it was so random the way the the reasons that he would get angry at me that I don't even remember because they were so off the wall. I mean, there were moments where I would be in bed sleeping. I have to go to work in the morning because I, I have an office job. And he would come home three, four in the morning, break down the doors, bust in, uh, wake me up, shake me up, uh, literally push me, drag me off the bed because he was yelling at me about something. It was something random. Like I didn't give him enough attention. I wasn't awake when he got home. So it was I was constantly being abused from the moment I woke up until you know, I went to sleep, went to sleep. And even when I was asleep, I was still being abused. So it was, it was literally a living hell. I mean, I, that's the only way I could describe it. The only words that come to mind. So being in that relationship and being the person I am, you know, I always think that at the core of a person, they're a good person. Always. I never, ever automatically think that someone is pure evil. Um, but I can tell you that's, that's what I encountered. I was in a relationship with a extreme narcissist, a extremely violent man with an addiction to alcohol, and I barely got out with my life. I mean, um, and I say that with all seriousness. And I know that there are so many women and men that struggle with this too. So if you're struggling with this, just know that there is a way out. You can survive this. You will survive this. You just have to keep fighting. And I know it gets really exhausting to keep fighting because all you do from the moment you wake up is fight. But you have to keep doing it because there is a way out of this. You will survive it. You will. So dating a narcissist is probably one of the hardest things you could do. Um, I think that, you know, I honestly didn't even know he was a narcissist up until a couple years ago when it became this conversation on social media where people were delving into their relationships and their abuse. And, you know, there were psychiatrists or therapists responding to posts saying, you know, it sounds like you've dated a narcissist. And so I really researched into that to kind of understand who I was dating or what happened to me, because the things that happened to me, I really didn't understand why I didn't have any understanding. I just didn't understand how I could be just the victim of so much abuse. Um, I didn't get it. I really didn't get it. I thought I was doing everything right. I was cooking. I was cleaning. Um, I was being the model girlfriend. I wasn't cheating, even though I had multiple opportunities and he cheated on me our entire relationship. I never did. I was just, I thought I was perfect, essentially. Um, you know, obviously there's nothing, no such thing as perfect, but I really thought that I was. So it boggled my mind as to why I was just the brunt of all this abuse. It was so hard for me to understand. So when it became a conversation on social media, I was so grateful because I finally was able to put a, a label to it. You know, I was dating a narcissist and not all narcissists are physically abusive. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that I've, in my experience, I dated an abusive narcissist. Um, so dealing with that and coming out of that from the other side, I learned a lot about how to protect myself, how to spot these red flags, how to notice the signs that you need to leave. And a lot of times they're really subtle. Um, I can just tell you a couple of ones that I learned 
And I didn't even know this at the time. So this is me looking back on the relationship. So while I was in it, I had no idea that he was doing these specific things. I had no idea this was a tactic that he was using to get me cut off from the outside world. Um, so a couple things he did. So at first, the first couple years, it was okay. You know, um, it was more of like, he needed all of my attention at all times. I couldn't really have conversations with my friends that he didn't know about. It was a lot of looking over my shoulder, seeing who I'm messaging, asking me who I'm messaging, what I'm talking about. Um, he would grab my phone at times. He would never go through my phone because he knew that if he did that, then I would have right to go through his. Um, but he would always look at my phone when messages came through, um, ask who I was on the phone with, and just constantly asking me, you know, to to cancel all of the plans with anyone else because he wanted to do stuff with me. Um, you know, it was his time with me. And because he worked so much, I needed to make sure that I made the time for him. Um, so it was, you know, it started with that, just really subtle, just really cutting me off from having friendships, seeing friends, seeing family members, um, really confiding in anybody. Because even though he wasn't going through my phone, I still had an intense fear that if I were to confide in anybody, he would find out and I would suffer more abuse. So it was a lot of just hiding everything I was going through. I mean, no one even knew the extent of the abuse until I left that relationship and I had been gone for quite a few months and I felt comfortable and at a point where I was healed enough to discuss it because it is extremely traumatizing. And if you're somebody that's been through it or is currently going through it, you know how triggering it can be to discuss the things that have been done to you that have happened to you. So I really wasn't in a place that I was comfortable to talk about it until, you know, fairly recently. But yeah, so that was the first um, thing he did. The second thing I would say would be to control every aspect of my reality, um, myself, down from, you know, what am I eating today? Basically, uh, we would have to eat the same thing a lot of times because if I would get something different than him, he would be upset or he would oftentimes eat off of my plate and take what I had. So it was a lot of we would eat the same thing. Um, we would have lunch together. We'd eat the same thing, exactly the same thing. Um, I'd make dinner. We'd eat the same thing. He had a problem if we ate dinner at different times when he happened to be off and he decided to come home because a lot of times I would make dinner, he would say, oh yeah, I'll be off, and then he would never show up because he'd be off doing something, you know, cheating or whatever happened. I don't even know. Um, but yeah, so it would be a lot of that. And then it came down to controlling my appearance. Um, he would make comments about my body in certain ways that, weren't direct, but it was enough to let me know that he was directing the comment towards me. So it'd be a lot of commenting on people on TV, um, just seeing what, you know, what those women look like and what he liked about them or what they were wearing that he liked. And a lot of preferences for me to buy slutty outfits because I was essentially a toy to him. I wasn't a human being. I was a toy. I was completely a doll, a toy, whatever you want to call it. I had no human qualities to him. Um, and that's a, that's another thing too, is, you know, he would control everything that I did and what I would say, but 
if I were to say, if I were to do the exact same things as him, it was a huge problem. If I were to comment on how I saw a man that was attractive, it was a huge issue. I mean, it was to the point where he would get extremely aggressive towards me. If I said something about a guy, if we were out at a bar or a restaurant, and like, oh, that guy's good looking, or he would ask me, you know, oh, you do think that guy was good looking if he saw me looking at somebody? And I would say, oh, yeah, no, they're like, it's fine. He's he's okay. He would get extremely angry. Um, those are just a few things. And then it just came down to, you know, essentially after excluding me from my family, completely isolating me, um, controlling what I ate, what I wore, what I said, um, it went down to physically and emotionally abusing me. Um, he would just completely blurt, just blurt slurs at me, just completely just go off and call me all sorts of names and tell me that I was worthless and there's no one that would love me and I'm so lucky to have him. And, um, and then at the same time, it would be 20 minutes later after calling me all sorts of slurs or cussing me out, he would say how we were meant to be together and how much he loved me and how much he appreciated me. I mean, it was like a huge roller coaster for me emotionally and physically, honestly, because I was being abused. And then I was being told nice things. It was the most confusing time of my life. Um, so that was the emotional abuse. It was constant. I mean, it was if he was having a bad day, I was gonna, I could expect to get abused in some way. Um, I, I could expect to get cussed out, yelled at. Um, I could expect to have him in my face, literally, like, literally just centimeters away from my face, threatening me. Um, and then it went to just um, threats to him actually doing it. So it transitioned in a violent way to the point where he would stop me from leaving. He would stand in front of me. He would push me against the doors. He would hold my shoulders. He would punch the wall behind my head to show me that he could hurt me extremely bad. Um, so just, you know, methods of terror, essentially. But it went from that to, you know, pulling me off my bed. And I had a a lifted bed at the time. So it was a I had a pretty big bed frame and a queen bed, and the queen bed is pretty thick. So I would say it probably stood about like maybe four feet off the ground, three feet off the ground, I want to say. Um, and he would come home belligerent, get mad at me for some random reason, like I said before. Don't even have any memory of them because they were so outlandish. But he would come home, he would open or uh, rip the covers off me, and then take one of my legs and slam my body onto the ground. Um, there were times where he would do that and then try to drag me out of the apartment. I called the cops several times, um, multiple times had them come and they essentially would just remove him. And then, you know, I was a victim of abuse. So I would let him come back with him saying, you know, I'm so sorry. That'll never happen again. I don't even remember what I did because I was so drunk. Um, with all these promises, you know, I would let him come back and then abuse me again. And it was just a, a vicious cycle to the point where I think the last time, last altercation we had was right before our lease was up. And mind you that we had been broken up. So um, we had da been dating about for that year, just kind of seeing each other casually. And then we started dating seriously for about two years. Um, we lived together during that time. And then I'd broken up with him after I'd found out he'd been cheating on me for the second or third time, I think. Um, 
I think it was the second time, I want to say. So I found that out. This was right after Christmas time. We broke up officially, completely done. Um, but we still had a lease together. And at that time, I was really financially dependent upon him. So it was a lot of fear that I would not be able to do things on my own. I didn't have anyone to rely on. And not looking back, I know that I did. I know that I had family. I know that I had friends that were would be willing to help me and you know have told me, why didn't you say anything? But I was so scared. I was so embarrassed. I was ashamed, so ashamed of letting myself be a victim of this violence, this abuse that I couldn't say anything. I was like, I was frozen with fear. And, you know, I'm sure that's how all victims of abuse are. You just, you're frozen. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You're at a point where you're just in survival mode. Um, So I was in survival mode. We'd broken up, but we're still living together for about four months until our lease was up. So I thought to myself, okay, I can do this four months. It's totally fine. It's a breeze. I'm working all the time. He's working all the time. Really don't really see each other much. I just have to get through the nights. That was my biggest fear was getting through the night because, you know, I could go to work all day and he'd be at work all day or all night. So I wouldn't see him until late evening. But most of the time when I would see him, he would be belligerent. So it was this preparation for abuse that I would have to do every single day. And not every single day there would be abuse. I mean, some days he would come home and we wouldn't speak. It'd be fine. Um, He'd sleep on the couch or I'd sleep on the couch. So there really wasn't an issue um, every single day. But I would say every other day. It was pretty common that there'd be some sort of altercation even after we were broken up. So that four months, it was just really me biding my time and... We had been broken up and, you know, he had been begging me to get back with him. You know, stay with me, stay with me. I'm sorry, I'll change. I'll stop drinking. I said, you know, let's go to an AA meeting. He pretended like he would go um, just to kind of get me back, get me, you know, under his thumb again. But I knew I just said to myself, you have to get out of this because the next time that there's an altercation, he's going to kill you. The next time he puts his hands on you, he is going to kill you. Uh, And the reason that I thought that is because our last altercation, I had actually defended myself, which I never really did much before because I was too frightened of what could happen to me. Uh, Mind you, I'm about 5'2", he's about 6'3", 6'4". So I was really scared. Um, He's a bigger belt, 250, around there. You know, I'm I'm pretty small, petite. Um, Not super skinny, but I'm, you know, I'm just small in stature. So I was just kind of scared to defend myself up until I got so fed up that I was just thinking like, you can't let him kill you. You can't let him kill you. You have to survive. So it was really our last altercation where I defended myself um, and he wasn't expecting it. You know, it was, it was completely unexpected for him. And I told him that time, if you ever put your hands on me again, I'm going to kill you. And That sounds really extreme, but when you are a victim of this type of violence for this long, and I'm sure it's been, you know, I'm not even the most severe case I've heard of, but just from my experience, I was tired. I was ready to be done. Like, you're going to die or I'm going to die. We can't both live like this anymore, and I'm not going to do it. So if you put your hands on me again, I'm going to kill you. That was 100% true. And for me to say that, you know, I'm somebody that, I really value human life in every in every way, and I could never, ever even think about hurting somebody, killing someone, 
is completely beyond something I would ever do. But in that time of my life, I knew that I had to survive one way or the other. And if that's how I had to do it, I was going to do it. So that was our last altercation. So then, you know, the four months comes where we're just in the apartment together waiting for our lease to be up. Um, He's moving back to his mom's and then I'm moving to a friend's apartment. Um, So we had kind of separated, but he had this thought that we were going to stay together, that we were going to keep communication. We were just going to work things out essentially. And I completely let him believe that 100%. I said, yeah, let's work things out. We'll see how things go. We'll just take it day by day. Full well knowing in the back of my mind that the second I was free of him, the second I could remove my name from our combined bills, whatever I had to do, I was done. I would disappear off the face of the earth because I never wanted to have him in my life again, have any contact. So the four months comes, our lease is up. He has this whole, you know, idea that we're going to stay together and it's going to be happy, happily ever after, blah, blah, blah. Um, not the case whatsoever. What was unfortunate was that a lot of our bills had both of our names on them. So it was really me having to figure out how do I take my name off these bills that we share when he is the primary owner of a lot of our things. Um, the hardest one the one that just kept us in communication was our phone bill. And that was a tough one. And, you know, I, it's, I'll just start. So um, we had moved out. We were separated at this point. So I'd moved in with a couple of friends and he had moved with his mom. Um, He was still communicating with me all the time. I was just still keeping him on the hook because I was trying to get this phone bill figured out so that I didn't have to start over my entire life. Because I still had this, um, I guess you could say pride, where I thought to myself, like, he's taken everything from me. I don't want to have to start over every, every single way. You know, I don't have to make, go and, and make my own phone bill and then him come after me for this unpaid phone bill under my name. Like, I don't have to do that. So I was trying to figure out a way that I could get myself off of his account. Um, and that was really tricky. So... What ended up happening was that I had called Verizon. They told me, you know, he's the primary account holder. Unfortunately, you can't. There's nothing you can do. Essentially, you can't take yourself off, even though, you know, you're telling me the situation that you're in a beast relationship and you're trying to escape him, blah, blah, blah. Because I did, you know, tell them a little bit of info. Like, I'm scared for my life. I'm trying to get away from him. I'm trying to just disappear, essentially. Is there any way I can just... Um, start up my own phone plan with my name and you can keep my current number and all that stuff so first time I called I spoke to a gentleman you know he said unfortunately he's the primary account holder he can't or we can't do it so I reached out to my ex-boyfriend I said you know hey when are you gonna get my name off the account when are you gonna split our accounts he said oh yeah I'll get to it you know and I knew I knew that he wasn't gonna get to it purposely because that's the last thing that he had me on the hook for So I tried again, reached out to him a couple more times. Hey, when are you going to get this disconnected? Um, You know, I really need this done. And just under the pretense of like, hey, I want to have my own bills under my name. Not like I'm going to completely stop communication with you because I didn't want him to do something or come after me in some way. You know, I still had that fear. So um, ended up doing that, waiting a little bit, like a week or two goes by, still nothing happens. So I'm like, all right, I need to get him out of my life. 
call Verizon. I ended up speaking to this extremely sweet woman. I tell her my story and I'm essentially crying at this point. You know, I'm telling her my ex is extremely abusive. I don't want to have to start my life over. I really don't have to go in there. They're telling me that I have to go in and start a new account. And like, I already have my login. I already have my phone number. I don't want to change it. Um, you know, and she suggested me changing it, but I was just so like, so serious that I'm like, no, I'm not going to start my life over. I'm not going to change everything because of what he did to me. So we are talking for a little bit and, you know, finally she says, okay, I'm going to do it for you. Um, I don't remember exactly what the workaround was, but she did it for me. And I'm so, so, so grateful to you, whoever you are. I don't remember your name. I'm so sorry, but I am internally, eternally grateful that you helped me even when you shouldn't have because it saved it saved me really it saved me the the fear of having to continue to speak to him because he had my um, information or I was under his account you know it saved me because I didn't have to go through that and I could just cut things off how they were so that's what I did you know she did that for me bless her bless her um, she did that for me and then right after that I basically I blocked him immediately deleted all of our conversation, blocked him on my email. So I was done. That was it. That was the final step for me. I was so liberated, so excited. Um, That was the final step. Um, I thought, you know, fast forward a month or two, he emails me and on the blocked emails, you can still see when they come in. They just can't see if you read them. um, And they also don't see if they ever got to you. So there's no way for them to tell that you've gotten it or you've read it, but you can still receive it in your inbox. So I was still getting them and seeing them come through and they were just these ridiculous paragraphs, just psycho. It's just psycho babble, really. Um, Him just talking about how we're meant to be and I'm amazing and um, I'm ethereal or something like that. Some sort of crazy description of me. Um, Just bullshit. Just the whole thing bullshit. And it was constant. So he would email me paragraph when he was drunk it would come in like 1 a.m or something um email me again a few days later so this continued where he would just email me even though he was blocked and I would ignore him ignore him ignore him and then that kind of continued so and then it died off um and you know that's that's kind of my story a crazy one but What's awesome about that whole situation is I was actually able to make a really good friend and, um, you know, we're becoming really good friends from that. It's actually somebody that he started dating recently in the past couple years that she found my name in his phone. Um, I guess he still had my contact information. And so he had still seen, I guess she had seen a text thread or like an old text thread or an email thread or something with my name. And so she called me. And told me, like, hey, I'm dating him now. Um, Are you guys, like, do you still talk to him? What's going on? Because he's talked about you. And I'm like, no, you know, like, no, this guy's a fucking psychopath. Like, he's insane. He's literally abusive. Like, you need to get out of the situation. So she ends up escaping the situation. And we became really good friends. Or we're becoming really good friends, I hope. Um, So there's a really, really, really nice silver lining to that story. But... The whole point of you telling me telling you my huge, long life story is to let you know that you're not the only one. If you're experiencing this, you are not the only one. Um, I, too, am a survivor of domestic abuse. I, too, am a survivor of a narcissistic partner. And you are not alone in this. 
You are not alone. I know that you are paralyzed with fear. And maybe if you've been in this really type of relationship, you, you know how much you are paralyzed with fear. And you're trying to heal from that. And you're trying to escape that. And this is just me telling you, like, I'm here. You can escape. There's a way out. There's an end. You can do it. Keep fighting. Keep fighting for yourself. Keep advocating for yourself. Believe in yourself. Love yourself. Just leave. So there is a point to this whole story. Um, and that point is, is that there is a way out. There is a way out of this. Um, if you're currently in a toxic relationship or trying to leave one, or maybe you keep going back to it, there's a way to get out of that cycle. Um, it doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship. This can be a platonic relationship we're talking about. Maybe there's a best friend or a friend that you just have a toxic relationship with that you keep trying to leave, they won't let you leave, or they keep coming back and reaching out to you, and you just don't see a way of escaping. There is a way to do it. Um, there's a lot of ways, a lot of tips that I have that I've used for my own personal issues um, that have helped me a lot to get out of these relationships, to move on from them. And I think one of the biggest things that people ask me every time I tell them my story is, why, why would you do that? Why would you stay? Why would you let somebody do that to you? And I thought about this a lot, and I honestly think that the question isn't why would you, because there's a ton of reasons why you would. You're financially tied to someone in my case, or even you're emotionally tied to them. Um, they're abusing you emotionally, so they trick you into thinking that you deserve this abuse, so you stay. So the question isn't why would you, because there's so many reasons why you would. I think the question is why would you devalue yourself to put up with and enable someone else's bad behavior because that's really what it comes down to there's a million reasons why you would right but it really comes down to why would you devalue yourself to do that you know and so that can really get you to the root of the reason why you treat yourself that way um, I think really understanding that you have devalued yourself in these situations that you've let a toxic partner come back into your life or stay in your life um, if you really understand that that's what you're doing, I think there's a, a way for you to get out of that cycle. You just really have to acknowledge it and be extremely self-aware that that's something that you are doing. Um, I think that for me, I devalued myself because I didn't realize that I had value. I didn't think that I was worth anything. I didn't think that there was going to be someone else to love me, to be there for me, to have that connection with me. I really was so nearsighted that I had no idea what was out there. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think there was an option for me. You know, I really did not even understand the concept of self-worth. So for me, that's why I stayed. That's why I dealt with the abuse, you know? And then after being in that cycle of abuse where you're so manipulated into actually believing these things, you know, you get gaslighted so much and so often that eventually you actually start to believe it. And you really have to sit there, you know, you, you may have to have that moment where you just are fed up like I was. You just sit there and say, like, enough is enough. Am I willing to continue to devalue myself so that someone else can feel good about themselves? You know, like, ask yourself that question. Does it make sense to you? And if it doesn't, you have to move forward. You have to let go and you have to do whatever possible to leave that situation 
to leave that relationship, to leave that friendship, because you are so much more important than that other person's feelings. You are so much more important than that other person and whatever they're experiencing in their life that's making them lash out at you or abuse you. That doesn't even matter because there's no comparison to you and your self-worth. It doesn't compare. So really ask yourself that question, okay? Now, I know that a lot of times, you know, when, when I was thinking about leaving or when I was considering it and just thinking about my options, um, it was a really big pinpoint for me. You know, fear was a really big pinpoint for me. I was so scared because if you're thinking these things about yourself like I was, like I'm not worth it and I'm not going to ever find love or, you know, I don't matter. If you're already thinking these things, when, the, when you think about leaving, just the thought of it is terrifying. It, it paralyzes you. Because you're thinking, oh my gosh, like if I actually stand up for myself, if I actually leave, that means that they're going to leave me. I'm going to be left too. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be abandoned. Um, That's what you think. I mean, that's what I thought, you know. So it's completely valid that you're thinking that. But you have to remember a feeling is not a fact. It's not a fact. A feeling isn't a fact. So if you're feeling like you're going to be abandoned or left, or um, discarded, is that a fact, or is it a feeling? Will you actually be abandoned, or is it just a feeling? Because as long as you have yourself, and you have that love for yourself, or you start that love for yourself, you'll never be abandoned, because there's no way. You're not going to abandon yourself, so you're not going to be abandoned. And I know that's a hard concept and it it seems so simple and it's really not. I mean, honestly, it's really not. It took me years and I'm telling you, you know, six years after this relationship took me till now to really understand that a feeling is not a fact. Just because I'm feeling something, I'm feeling abandonment. I'm feeling like I'm going to be discarded, like I'm going to be left behind, like I'm not going to be loved. Just because I'm feeling that doesn't make it true. So we really have to remember this. Just because you're feeling it doesn't make it true whatsoever. You are loved. You are worthy. You are everything. As long as you love yourself, that is all that matters. And I know self-love is so hard, especially coming out of these toxic relationships, these abusive relationships or friendships. Loving yourself, learning how to love yourself is such a huge step. And it does take a lot of time and it takes a lot of sitting with yourself and accepting the things that you've done or haven't done for yourself. And that can be really, really, really tough. Um, speaking my own personal experience, that was the hardest thing for me was accepting that I had done things to myself that I was not okay with. Accepting that I had allowed this abuse to go on for so long. And not blaming myself and saying, you know, you're weak or you're worthless or, you know, how could you? But more of like, I'm really disappointed in you. Like, I'm really disappointed in you that you let yourself succumb to this. And it doesn't make me weak, but it's more of like, oh, come on. Like, you love yourself enough, right? And I really didn't, you know, I really didn't. So it was me questioning like, oh gosh, you're right. Like, do I love myself? No. Okay. Then why don't I love myself? I need to look into that further. I need to understand that. Um, I need to place more value on myself because I am, I am valued. You know, I know that. So getting to that moment where you feel that love for yourself can take a lot of time, but it's something that you need to do, especially if you are experiencing a toxic relationship currently or friendship 
or you have experienced that in the past and you haven't really come to terms with it. So it's something that's really important that you delve deep into and I would highly recommend it if you've been in an abusive situation at any point, whether that's relationship or not, like we're talking about, um, or if it's more of like a parental situation, say you've been abused by parents or siblings or, you know, any family members, delve into that self-love, delve into self-care, healing, because then you'll understand like, here's what I'm willing to accept and here's what I'm not willing to accept. And that will really help you move forward past these difficult situations. It will really, really, really help you. And I promise you, and I know it's hard, but you have to do it. So, I mean, another thing that's kind of funny for me is a lot of times, you know, when I've told people about my story, my my past relationships, abuse that I've endured, um, they ask me, you know, like, what? Like, what? What do you mean? How how did that happen? You know, they think of me as a, a somewhat intelligent person. They always, you know, I feel like people think pretty highly of me. And, you know, you, you may have people think the same of you. They think highly of you. They don't really understand how that could happen. They don't even see that being a possibility for you. Um, and it kind of is, it's sad because at the same time, I'm like, yeah, like, oh, I could kind of see it. But humans are creatures of habit and comfort. So it makes sense that if you're in a toxic situation that you'll keep going back. Unless you can get to the the reason that's making you go back to that person, you're you're gonna continue in the cycle. You're just gonna. Um, it just happens, you know. Humans are creatures of habit. So if you're doing something for so long, and you're a victim of abuse for so long, um, or in this toxic situation, whatever that may be, you're gonna keep going back until you get to the root of the cause. You know, like until you get to the reason why you're allowing this person to stay in your life, or allowing this behavior towards you so you really have to get to the root of it that's the only way you can break the cycle Um, I can say that's 100% true for myself because I really had to get to the root of why I was letting this happen what I wanted for myself what I wanted my future to be like and then that helped me break the cycle but until I realized that until I really sat down with myself I was never going to break the cycle there's no possible way because if you're not self-aware about it, how are you going to know what to do to get yourself out of it? How are you going to know what to address to get yourself out of it? You're not going to. So I honestly think that it's really important that you think about why you're willing to stay and what you're willing to put up with to stay and what that means if you do stay. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for someone that hurts you, doesn't respect you or love you? Or do you owe it to yourself to protect yourself? Ask yourself that. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for someone that hurts you, doesn't respect you or love you? Or do you owe it to yourself to protect yourself? Because you owe it to yourself to protect yourself. Everyone does. You owe yourself the love, the care, the, the affection. You owe yourself everything. So don't stay in a situation that doesn't give you what you need, what you deserve. Everyone deserves to be loved, to be respected, to be safe. Do yourself, you know, do yourself a favor. Do what you deserve and actually leave. Don't sacrifice yourself. It's so important that you don't sacrifice yourself. And I know that when I was in this situation myself... 
a lot of times, you know, there would be moments where I would just say, I'm going to leave tomorrow or I'm going to make arrangements to leave. Um, you know, I'm going to leave in a week. I'm going to start planning that now. But what stopped me so many times was thinking that there's a possibility that things could change because, you know, people change. Not everyone stays the same. People improve. People can make mistakes and get better. Um, So what if this changes? What if things get better? So I just kind of sat around and waited for them to get better, and they never did because no matter what, if things had changed, if, you know, suddenly his behavior changed and things got better, it wouldn't matter because the damage is already done. He'd already done things to me that were irreversible. He had already not given me the things that I needed and that I deserved. So it's really important that if you're in a situation where you, maybe you left the situation and you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're straggling a little bit, you're going back or they keep reaching out to you and you're, you're tempted to go back, really think to yourself, are you willing to sit around and wait to see if things get better? And do you actually think that they will? Or are you just feeding yourself that story to avoid coming out of your comfort zone? Because I can tell you from my experience, I was feeding myself this story to avoid having to come out of my comfort zone, to avoid taking the leap, to avoid having to take the risk, you know, to avoid that question of what if it doesn't work out? I was avoiding that and I was waiting around. So really ask yourself, are you willing to sit around and wait? Because what if things don't get better? Are you willing to take up that time to wait around for this person? Are you willing to give this person another second of your life? Because they've clearly shown you that they are not for you, that they do not deserve you, that they don't value you. So are you going to give them another second of your life? Because I wasn't. I wasn't willing to do that. And I don't think that you should either. And I think a lot of times what ends up happening is when you do leave that situation or you're trying to, and you can't, you say to yourself, oh, I'm stupid. Like, I'm so fucking stupid. How could I not just leave? You know, he's doing all these things or she's doing all these things to me and I'm getting abused and nothing's good and nothing's, you know, nothing's positive in my life because of this. But why can't I just leave? I'm so stupid. You're not stupid. You are not stupid. Intelligent people get into abusive situations and that is a fact. Just because you're in an abusive situation doesn't make you unintelligent or stupid. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you worthless. It doesn't make you pathetic. Anything that your inner voice is telling you, that inner voice of fear, whatever that narrative it's spewing to you, it's wrong. None of that is true. Intelligent people get into abusive relationships. And it's not because it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has nothing to do with that. I think it has everything to do with your confidence, your self-confidence, your love for yourself. Bad people prey on good people. They prey on people that are having insecurities in one way or the other. They prey on people that are easy targets. And just because you may have been an easy target for them doesn't make you stupid. I think honestly, in my opinion, intelligent people are more harm to themselves than others. You know, maybe you are intelligent and you did get in this situation, but you're going to be more harm to yourself than anyone else, right? Um, It doesn't have anything to do with intelligence, though, really. It honestly doesn't. It's just all about that point that you're at when those 
people find you, right? You're kind of like the carcass in the desert and those vultures have got you. That's kind of how I would, you know, compare it to. It's just they took the opportunity and you just happened to be there. So it has nothing to do with intelligence at all. That all being said, I think it's important to note that there are some situations that people cannot leave because they have children, they have other um, things that are tying them together, you know, situations that are really dangerous for them to leave and they have to wait for the appropriate time. And if that's you, take whatever precautions you deem necessary to protect you, your safety, and the safety of your children if you have them or the safety of your pets. Do whatever is necessary. But my advice is that you ask for help if you can. Ask for help from anyone anyone that hears you, anyone that you can connect with, ask them for help because we have to ask for help. A lot of times we think that we have to do this alone. We have to escape this alone. We have to figure everything out alone. But maybe if you reach out to somebody, they have a solution for you. They might have resources for you to use to escape that situation. Reach out for help. There are people around you and maybe you you may not have people that are really close to you, but that doesn't matter because in times of need, I strongly believe that humans can prove that they are capable of being there for each other. And I think that you just have to reach out. So don't feel like you can't. Don't feel like that. If you're in a dangerous situation and this is a circumstance where you, you your life is at risk, if you do leave the traditional way or you know, you just think that you have to plan it far out or you just have to do things under the table, you know, really secretly, do whatever you need, but just make sure that you ask for help because there are people out there that can help you, that can help you escape, that can help you leave that situation. And don't put so much pressure on yourself to think that you have to be healed from that situation right away. Or maybe if you've escaped and you're you're in that journey of kind of figuring out what happened to you and how do I acknowledge that and how do I deal with that, you know, those emotions of shame or guilt. Um, Just take it day by day. Healing is day by day. I mean, every single day I'm still learning something new. I'm still getting better. I'm still coming more into myself. So take it day by day. You don't have to fix it all right away. You don't have to erase everything that happened to you right away. It doesn't have to be fixed. You don't have to be better right away. You don't have to be happy. You don't have to be ready to date or ready to talk to people or befriend people. It's okay to take the time that you need to heal, the time that you need to recover. Because if you've gone through a traumatic situation like this or currently going through it, it's going to take some time to get out of it. It's going to take some time for you to recover. And that is okay. But please reach out to those that are around you for help, for counsel, for anything, because people are more there for you than you think they are. They really, really are. I really hope that I helped those of you that are experiencing the situation or maybe you have experienced it and you don't really know what the next step is. I really hope that I've kind of helped provide some insight and maybe given you some pointers on how to move forward. I'm so, so happy that you were able to join me for the second episode. Um, I really, really hope that everyone that hears or listens to this is on their way to healing and is ready to go and refreshed after hearing this that there's a way out there's a silver lining so please reach out to me if you just want some counsel if you you're you know you're in a situation that you don't really have anyone to talk to maybe there isn't anyone around you you can reach out to i'm here so you have one person 
Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope to catch you on the next episode. Every Friday, we will have an episode. Next Friday will be a surprise episode, which I'll reveal later in the week. But I'm very excited to have you here. And let's get growing. Mm-hmm.